Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Taylor Vipulis and EJ Wilson for the weekly Ask Taylor and EJ show. So guys, before we actually get into the questions, uh, all of us were present in Kenyon Stadium last Saturday for the game against Virginia Tech. So I figured we actually could start the discussion off with the uh, just, you know, kind of talking about that game and what you guys observed from that one. So Taylor, let's start with you since EJ and I were on the radio. We'll get to that one second tier but you know what were your impressions of the team last week and especially what do you think of the crowd turnout for that game atmosphere wise I was completely blown away I thought um I kind of went in with the mindset that it wasn't going to be too full wasn't going to be too loud um just because you know I've seen Carolina football games uh last year and I think what you saw Saturday was a remarkable turnout in terms of attendance and in terms of crowd noise. I think they really got behind the night game, even though this team has struggled this year, they still stayed throughout the whole game and got behind them. I think that crowd can go toe to toe with any of the crowds I saw my senior year when we were, you know, seven and zero at home and blowing teams out every game. So the, the team's performance so far this year really wasn't, um, a good indicator for how the crowd was going to turn out because I think that was one of the best crowds I've seen in Keenan. But in terms of the game, it's, it's a frustrating game for Carolina for sure, just because you were so close. You had so many opportunities. Um, you were leading late into the game and driving. It really, it really hurts to lose this game. If you're Carolina, um, I think this is one coach cap was saying that this is a game that's going to haunt him for the rest of his life. And just knowing the coaches and, knowing how much pride they take in putting in the preparation and the work week in and week out. Same thing with everybody in the locker room. Like, yeah, a lot of fans are, you know, disappointed, but those guys in the locker room and the coaching staff, they're, you know, a hundred more times disappointed than anybody else could be. So you feel for the team in situations like this where they're doing everything they can, they're getting put in the right spot, but you know, just a couple plays don't go your way. And now you're staring at a, staring at another loss and this season just it feels like you can't get a win no matter what you do yeah and and I think that that's a important point there that you made Taylor where you know as much as the fans you know were disappointed in the outcome for the team it's just so exponentially worse so EJ I you know like like I mentioned you and I were on the radio pregame we both talked about how important that game was and I think we, we were skeptical, just like Taylor was, on what the turnout would be. But I think it's fair to say that the Tar Heel fans really showed up. And they were there to support the team, even though they, they, they only had one win going into that game. Yeah, the, the crowd definitely was in full effect. I, w- I was so impressed by uh, the way uh, Tar Heel Nation showed up and really cheered loudly for these fans. And I know a while ago Taylor had mentioned that Carolina Carolina crowds are kind of famous for only cheering when big plays happen, but I, I feel like that was a pretty consistent crowd on Saturday. Uh, and as far as the performance of the team, uh, I- I'm very encouraged with the way they played. I know 
it sucks to be that close uh, to kind of – you kind of want to finish that game. They played a, a very good game good game on defense. Uh, Kane came out. He he really impressed me for the first time me seeing him. And even when uh, Nathan Elliott came in the game, they were still moving the ball fairly well. So to get that close and not to be able to put the book in on the end of that thing, that's a really frustrating feeling. I've been there before, but especially for a team to struggle in the way that they are. I mean, it seemed like – the, the stage was set for everything to go right for him. And up until that moment, everything had. So it, it's a very disappointing loss. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And, you know, it does not get easier for the team considering that now they have to go and play in Syracuse for a very tough road game. And the Syracuse offense has been really firing on all cylinders this year. So let's go ahead and start there, guys, with the questions and the uh, to kind of, I guess, stick with Virginia Tech, at least initially, we got some very specific questions for both of you guys. So let's start off, EJ, with you. Your question was, do you think that the UNC defense will have the same success against Syracuse that it had against Virginia Tech? I, I would like to say that they would, but I mean, with this defense, you never know. Uh Having Taman Fox and uh, Malik Carney on the field together Saturday really made an impact on the way that defense played. Uh, it made an impact on the way the secondary was able to cover. It 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 didn't give the quarterback a lot of time to stand back there and just make a decision. I mean, I know that uh, Virginia Tech has uh, a lot of inexperience on that line, and we kind of exploded that. I noticed that we've been running a twist game with the tackle in the end all game, and uh, we kept getting home. If we weren't getting sacks on the quarterback, then we were pressuring them, uh, getting them off the spot. So I feel like that if we can – if we can get that same magic going up front, I do think that we can put out a similar performance and we're going to have to uh, because Syracuse has a quarterback who's a dual threat guy. Uh, he he has, uh, I think, about 400 rushing yards on the season, I think I saw today. So it's going to be another challenge. And uh, it, it's kind of funny that we were talking about on the radio that Willis wasn't really the dual threat guy. And it seemed like uh, two of the biggest plays in the game he made with his legs. One was the uh, – the uh, first down conversion on that last scoring drive they made to win the game. And the first one, of course, on the first touchdown where he was completely wide, just no one near him. So um, I think that if we can fix some of those things and and get the consistent pressure on the quarterback, keep them contained, uh, watch our rush lanes and just try to cut down on some of the yarders that we're giving the quarterbacks. I think that we can put up a a good performance against Syracuse. Yeah, there's definitely going to have to be a, different approach to the defense against that Syracuse offense for the exact same reason that you said, EJ, where they have that true dual threat quarterback. You know, Willis, even though he did have those two runs, I feel that that those were more where the defense on the first one, especially just really didn't keep contain at all. Everyone else had their back turned. And on that second one, I mean, they were like three guys were just right there to make a tackle and he somehow evaded it. But, you know, Syracuse, it's an entirely different animal, but they have faced a mobile quarterback before. The coaches should know how to get their guys ready for that. And I agree with you. I mean, there's definitely some hope there. We will have to see. So, Viplis, your question was, man, do you think that UNC, what they did with Elliott and that ended up working against Virginia Tech when he came into the game, but it did not work against Miami, ECU, or California. So what do you think the difference was, and do you think that they might be able to replicate that success against a Syracuse defense that has been up and down so far this season? I don't think the game plan was any different for Nathan Elliott this week than any other weeks. I think he looked a lot more confident in the pocket 
Um, he didn't really get happy feet when he was getting pressured. He really stuck in there, um, had good footwork, made all the necessary throws. I've been, you know, I've been tough on Nathan Elliott this year as a analyst. Um, but that throw that he made to Carl Tucker, the third and 15 throw after all those holding penalties, after all those uh, false start penalties, that was as good a throw as you'll see a college quarterback make this year in that tight of a window and that big of a situation. So you kind of see Nathan Elliott in flashes. Um, I think in the California game, it was a case of nobody else stepping up and him feeling like he had to put on this superhuman performance and by elevate trying to elevate his play, he kind of got out from within himself. Miami, I think they were just way better athletes and uh, the ECU game, nothing was really working for the offense at all. So I think it's something that you can replicate week to week. I know Syracuse has a really good pass rush. Um, I think they're, they're right up there. It's either them or Clemson who leads the ACC in sacks, but they have a good front four. They know how to get pressure, and it's going to be a challenge for Nathan Elliott and the offensive line to see if they could kind of establish a rhythm early so you're not having to play from behind and forcing Nathan Elliott to make uh, ridiculous throws second and long, third and long situations. And then kind of talking about you know what the UNC offense might do and the Syracuse defense has actually given up over 250 rushing yards in their last two games, with which have both been losses, which leads me into the next question here where everyone saw the game that running back Michael Carter had against Virginia Tech, but the question said, do you guys think that with Larry Fedora choosing to go with a player that has a hot hand, do you think that there is any concern that over the course of a game Basically, if you have that workhorse guy, he may slow down and actually take away effectiveness. So that could be both on the offense and defensive side. Taylor, let's stick with you. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that someone like a running back that just gets, you know, 30 plus carries in a game? Have you ever seen an instance at the college level where that production does have that break off point? I don't think so, just because if a guy is so tired to where his performance is going to drop off, he's usually the first person to know it and the first person to admit it. You'll see these guys, you know, tapping their helmet all the time. And that kind of just signals to the coach like, hey, this guy needs a break or else you do risk that performance of him with these mental lapses, um, you know, not being able to carry the ball as as tight as normal. And I don't think Michael Carter's fumble in the the inside the five yard line was a result of him being tired. I think Virginia tech just got their hat on the ball and got him in the one spot where the ball would have came out regardless. So I think if you are North Carolina, you do have to keep feeding the hot hand because when a guy like Michael Carter can get hot, he's Carolina's most dynamic back by far. Um, He could do a lot of things out of the backfield for you. I think he's the best pass blocking running back they have. I think he's the best, receiver out of all the running backs um he's the best at getting all the way outside um using his speed so i think when michael carter's at his best he's carolina's best running back so if he's having one of these days that he was having against virginia tech where he's gashing them for 10 yards a carry i think i i saw a stat 
that for running backs with over 30 carries right now, he's ninth nationally for yards per carry. So it's it's not a negative because a guy like Michael Carter knows when when he should be coming out because he's reaching that point where his game is about to start breaking down. And then EJ, what about on the defensive side? Because you know the defense does kind of you see more rotation there in in between plays and during drives if they can. You know, with the offense subs and all the rules with that. But in general, you know, I think that there's just that stigma where defensive players don't really stay on the field as much as their offensive counterparts. Do you think that there is a risk where if you have someone that's just either you know rushing the passer really well, or maybe there's a lockdown cornerback? that they could somehow tire and their production could also dip off? I definitely think it would probably be a bigger concern, more so at cornerback. I think no matter what, uh, on the defensive line, you're going to have your set rotation. Uh, if you have guys that can rush the passer um, and he's your, let's just say he's your every down defensive end, uh, if you know a uh, long third down's coming up, then you're going to try to rest them on second down. So it's a lot more easier to kind of plug and play and, and fool around on the defensive line. But if you're talking about a linebacker that's having a great game or someone in the secondary where they're actually running down the field on some plays and having to cover uh, as well as play the run, I think that it really can become an issue then. But at the end of the day, you do have to ride the hot hand. I mean, the guys, I think that's part of being a great player. You have to know when you need a break and when you kind of need to fight through it. And I think that um, I think that Michael Carter knows that. Like uh, Taylor mentioned, he was uh, he'll tap his helmet if he needed to come out, and he kind of knew within the rhythm of the game when he when he could afford to take a break. And I think that's a big part of it. As a player, you have to be in tune with the rhythm of the game and say, "Hey, I know I have the high hand. I know what the team's depending on me, whether it be uh, sacking the quarterback or whether it be getting a first down or just being explosive on offense." They know that hey, this is the opportunity I can take. Everything's moving uh, smoothly on offense. We're either uh, we're ahead of the uh, markers or on defense, we're in a position where they're uh, behind the chain. So I think that it, it's a combination of knowing uh, the coaches, knowing their players and knowing their endurance level and a coach and a player knowing that when he can afford to kind of take a step back and let someone else uh, take the burden. But um, defensive line and like I said it really doesn't become a big issue because no matter what no matter who's playing well you're still going to have that same rotation all right guys before we get to the rest of the questions let's take a quick break to talk about Jersey Mike's and for the listeners out there when it comes to Jersey Mike's in the triangle and the Chapel Hill area all you need to know is heels 15 because that gets you 15% off of your order from the Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill Use that code for online orders at any of the Chapel Hill, Hillsboro, and now also in Chatham County locations. And that new store is at the Chatham Crossing and the Lowe's Food Shopping Center. That's only a 12-minute drive from the heart of Chapel Hill, right down 15501. And it's on the way for anyone coming to Chapel Hill from Larenburg, Pinehurst, Southern Pine, Sanford, or Pittsburgh. So support the IC Podcast and thank Charlie, Clinton, Griffin, our guys at Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill, for the continued support of Inside Carolina. So again, use that code HEELS15 to get 15% off of your order. You just go to jerseymikes.com slash order, click the location nearest to you, click order, pick your favorite sub, and at checkout, enter that HEELS15 code and get that 15% off. You get to skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and then you're on your way. Do it today. Place that online order at one of the five Chapel Hill, Hillsborough, and Chatham County locations. It's a super easy process. Just remember that code HEELS15. And also continue to look for Jersey Mike subs inside of Keene Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC podcast and get 15% off of your Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win. All right, guys, turning back to the questions here. So the next one talked about 
with six games left to go. How do you guys see those final six games shaking out, assuming that Cade Fortson is out for the rest of the year? And would you put the over and under for wins for the Tar Heels at three? Which which side of that would you guys fall on? EJ, since we just got done with you, let's get your take, man. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I'm going to have to go with the under. I really see um, Georgia Tech and uh, Western Carolina's winnable games for us, but the other ones are, are going to be kind of tough. And, and unfortunately, uh, those are uh, some of those games against uh, in-state rivals, but um, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, Nathan Elliott, he, he had a decent game when he came in Saturday, but he really hasn't shown me that he can lead this offense and be productive. And from the defense, yeah, we've seen uh, two good games from them now. But are they going to be consistent? Can we create the turnovers that we created on Saturday? Can we make the big plays? Can we get to the quarterback? Can we just disrupt their offense? So I think there's a lot of different factors that we're kind of seeing in streaks and in spurts, but nothing consistently has shown me that they'll win uh, more than three games for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'd go with what EJ said and go with def- – I think it would be definitely under three. Um, Syracuse, they're averaging like 45 points this year at home. I don't think Carolina has the the quarterback play to get to upwards towards like 30 points. I just don't think they have the offense to do that. Um, Virginia is going to be tough in Charlottesville. Georgia Tech always gives you a challenge with the option. I do agree with EJ where after Western Carolina, I do think Georgia Tech's the most winnable. And then uh, I would probably say at Virginia, even though they have a couple of good wins this year, I think, you know, Bronco Mendenhall just doesn't have as much talent as some of the other teams you'll see on the schedule. And then, unfortunately, I think at Duke is going to be a really tough game. And then State to finish out the year, I think it's going to be a tough game, too. So if uh, I had a bet, I'd say under. All right, guys. What about the team kind of keeping a little bit of positivity going from the Virginia Tech game because, you know, even though they were not able to get the win, they played well. And, you know, I think you you heard even from the coaches that they really should have blown that game out. I think it was Coach Kapilovic that said it should have been like 21 points or something like that. So is there any amount of positivity that the Heels can take? And do you think that they'll be able to not get down on themselves and stay competitive during games? And EJ, let's get your thoughts on that. And if you can, you know, give us a little story on you know, one time when when you guys felt that you just let a game slip through your fingers and how what you did to kind of bounce back from that if you guys were able to. I think this team has shown us that they can bounce back from big losses. I mean, the fact that they came out and played the way they did against Virginia Tech after the way they lost to Miami. So I do think that they're a resilient team. Uh, they've shown, if they haven't shown me anything else, they've shown me that they're going to go out there and go, they're going to keep fighting. And you can tell by the effort on the guys Saturday and their reactions to the loss that they're, they're still in it, they're still in tune, and they haven't given up on this season. Uh, as, as far as stories for me, the one that stuck out immediately to me was uh, the Maryland game. I forget which year it was, but it was in Maryland. It was a rainy game. Uh, we were actually in position to win uh to win our division in the ACC and uh we were up I think by a touchdown or maybe uh eight points or something uh and this was the I think it was my yeah, it was my senior year because it's the year where we had a, a really exceptional defense so um we just kind of gave that game away and it's kind of weird all, all through that whole season we kind of been the most consistent and the most dominant part of that team and we've actually been ha- having an offense back when they uh messed up a few times but 
that one definitely hurt. It hurt a lot. It let us know that, hey, if we're going to be if we're going to beat our chest and say that we are this team and we're in the heart and soul of this team, then we have to go out and we have to play like it. And uh, I don't remember who we played after that, uh, but I know that I think we went maybe uh, three and one uh, after that. I'm not sure you probably have to fact check me on that one, but uh, <laughs> we just kind of kind of use that as a as a building block and a catalyst to take us uh, to finish strong uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, I think it, it's tough for a team. Like it's, they could watch that film and know how close they were, but after a certain point, like you don't really want to be told how close you were if you're not winning games, and it it can be extremely tough. Like you're playing this game to win, you're not playing there just to go out. But like you just said, I think these guys have had a lot of good fight, and even if the wins aren't coming in, it's good to see that because it's something you could at least build off of. Um, having good character in your locker room and knowing that wins or losses aren't going to divide, aren't going to divide your team and have guys quitting. So it it does get really tough. Um, The one situation I could kind of think of is in 2014, the year we lost to ECU, we lost to Clemson. um, Then we lost to Virginia tech. And then we lost at Notre Dame, a game that we probably should have won. So, it was kind of going back to that point where, yeah, everybody was telling us we were close. Uh, we made a couple penalties. Uh, I think we roughed the the long snapper on a punt, which kind of turned that game. But then uh, it, it just goes down to preparation, and guys really took it upon themselves to prepare for the next game, which was at Georgia uh, versus Georgia Tech at home, and just wanting to put on our best performance for the crowd. And it was a shootout. It was something in the 40s, and I think that was the game. TJ Logan had a, a touchdown late, and we won that game uh, by about five points, I think. So it was just – it was we knew we were going to be in a situation where we were going to have a chance to win the game, and at that point we just had to make sure we capitalized on it. And then the next week we went to Virginia. We won another close game. I think that one was by one or two points. So – we we knew we had a good enough team to where we were going to be in situations where the coaches were going to put us in a chance to win. And it was just up, up to us to kind of find a way to get over that hump. And I think we want, I think starting from the Georgia Tech game, I think we won five, or maybe four. I think we finished the year four and two before we lost in the bowl game. So it was getting to that point where everybody kept hearing how close we were and we just didn't really want to hear we were close anymore. And we wanted to go back in the locker room and celebrate those wins because you, that's one thing that coach Fedora always stresses. Like you're not going to get that many chances. That's why when you see these guys going in the, going crazy in the locker room, you know, if you're, if you're lucky, you have 11 chances of those in a season for all the work you put in getting to go crazy with like all these guys that uh, you put in all this work for. So I think it just gets to the point where you, if you're a good team, you'll, you find ways to win. Not if you're a bad team and you're finding ways to lose. Yeah. I mean, that's very fair points there. And, and it's nice to hear the, you know, kind of what comes out of coach Fedora and, and the coaching staff there in these in these situations there, Taylor, because I mean, the team has been there before. Let's hope that the leaders can bring everybody together before we move on. Let's talk about heels real quick. It is the easiest way to book travel to big UNC away games. Right now, HeelsTravel.com is offering a package to Chicago to see UNC take on Kentucky on December 22nd. It will be one of the biggest games of the entire college basketball season, so you don't want to miss that one. 
Visit HealsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. That package includes nonstop airfare from RDU to Chicago, transportation from the airport to the hotel, and a two-night stay at the Chicago Omni, which is the same hotel that the basketball team is staying at. It's a great chance to see the Tar Heels on a huge stage against a great opponent, and you get to check out a great city right around Christmas time. So visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. All right, so you guys were there at the game. What was one play that you guys saw on the offense and defense respectively that everyone did a good job and it you know it was a positive play? And then what was one that was a negative? And let's kind of hear you guys break it down a little bit. So, EJ, let's start with you on that. If there was one defensive play that you can recall that went right, let's hear it. And then same as for one where maybe things you know just didn't go correctly for whatever reason. I think the one that stood out to me was uh, kind of loose to the point I was making earlier about the uh, the games, the successful uh, in tackle games that we were running. Uh, I forget what play it was, but um, I remember uh, the person I was sitting with uh, in the stands. I said uh, they're going to run this game again, but Malik kind of looks tired. I don't know if he's going to get home. Well, they ran the game. Uh, of course, I mean, he, he didn't have the same spring off the line as he'd had all game, but, I mean, he got off of the line. Uh, he was disciplined. He had he used the same technique, same upfield, and he, he got home for the sack. So that's something that really stood out to me because, of course, I'm always harping about if we get more pressure on the quarterback, no matter what the secondary of the experience level is, we're going to have a good game defensively, and we showed that. Uh, of course, the bad play, I would have to say with, would be the uh, the touchdown play, the first touchdown play that uh, play that Virginia Tech had. The quarterback was wide open; no one was near him. The defensive end, or I don't know if it was the defensive end's responsibility or the linebackers, but nobody was watching the quarterback. Uh, everyone bit on the dive, and you just can't do that. I mean, if you're watching film, you know that whether you think he's a mobile quarterback or not, he still has the option to run the ball. And and if everyone on the defense is crashing down. Of course, we're going to of course, he's going to keep the ball and run. So I think that for the future, I mean, that's something that that's not just a one off thing like it was when I was playing. Every team in the ACC pretty much runs some form of that uh, that read zone. So I think that we we have definitely have to get a little bit more discipline in that, because at this point in the season, no matter how bad you are, that, that still shouldn't be happening. All right. Taylor, what about you, man? For a good play, um, I'll say to one that. I kind of mentioned before that pass on third and 15. Um, you can't say enough good things about that throw from Nathan Elliott. A lot of people question how strong his arm is, but, you know, he stood in his pocket, had good footwork, dialed a strike down the field to Carl Tucker. Carl Tucker, you know, a lot of the times you kind of overlook, overlook the catch, but you see a play like Daz Newsom earlier in the first half where, what what happens if uh, a receiver does make that drop? But Carl Tucker did a great job catching the ball and then doing a little bit of running after the catch. Um, if you're UNC, you'd like to score a touchdown at the end of that drive. But I think from a setup perspective, you had a great, great blocking by the offensive line to give Nathan a clean pocket and then a great strike by Nathan. Uh, another good play would be in the first half, that first run from Michael Carter. Uh, the offensive line d- does a really good job of blocking Charlie Heck. If you go back and watch the replay, he does a really good job. He first, he gets the def- defensive end. And when he could feel Michael Carter's like getting past that level, he goes up 
blocks another guy on the play. So he took out two guys on that one play for Michael Carter. And then if you're looking further down the field, you see Deami Brown for like half a second in the clip because he's blocking this guy like all the way to the water cooler. Um, that was something that Coach Brewer always stressed to us. And if it was something um, we saw on film of one of our guys doing, I think Matt, Mac was really good at it. Quinshaw was really good at it, being physical with these guys. And Coach Brewer would always say, like, um, you're kicking you're kicking somebody out of the club like a bouncer. And it was just funny seeing Diami kind of ride the Virginia Tech guy all the way off the field. And then in terms of a bad play, the one that sticks out would be Antonio Williams to start the game. You know, your first play, you're feeding off this crowd energy. Um, if you go down with a new quarterback, give him some confidence. If you score early, you put Virginia Tech on the ropes and you put the ball on the ground the first play. Virginia Tech scores three plays later. And before before Cade Fortin even throws a pass, he's down 7 nothing. So you just have to be able to set the right tempo and um, the right mood for the game. And I think fumbling that kind of made Carolina play uh, – play from behind pretty quickly all right so let's go ahead and close this one out talking about Syracuse and Taylor since we just left off with you I'll go right back to you for this one if the heels are going to pull off an upset win because I think right now the spread actually went down it opened at about 10 or something and uh the other day I looked at it and it was down to about maybe six or seven so the action has been on the heels to potentially be competitive in this one. But if they're going to come all the way up there and actually get a very much needed victory, number one, what do you think that the heels need to do schematically on offense? And then number two, who is the player that must step up and have that killer game? What do they have to do on offense? I would say they can't turn the ball over. I think that's something that's really killed Carolina in the past. Um, it's one of the thing, one of the reasons why they haven't been successful in the red zone. They're more prone to turnovers. The closer they get, the shorter the shorter the field they've been playing with. You just have to be able to finish drives, and I think that's been a problem for Carolina. For who I would want to see have like a breakout game in a win. Um, I would say a guy like Bo Corrales. I thought they should have went to Bo. I thought they should have went to Bo Corrales a little more than they did in the Virginia Tech game. They only threw to him twice. I'm pretty sure, and both times he looked way over. Uh, he looked like a complete mismatch for the Virginia Tech corner, and both times resulted in a pass interference. So I was kind of, I was kind of uh, puzzled why they didn't put Bo Corrales more once they got towards the red zone because for you know, in terms of his catch radius, his catch radius is way higher than anybody else Carolina has. So I think Carolina should look for uh, Bo Corrales more. Let me ask you a quick follow-up, Taylor, because I've seen this on the message board and just talked about it with with some other people. You know, with the game that uh, that Michael Carter had and just this these overall success that UNC has seemed to have running the ball in some of these games, do you think that if Carolina was ever going to really just go run heavy. I mentioned earlier that Syracuse has given up, you know, 250 yards on the ground in their last two losses. Do you think that coach Fedora should, and will he do that against the orange? Yeah, I think, I don't think coach Fedora one way or another says he he goes into a game saying like, 
this game I want to run, and if it doesn't work, I'm just going to keep running it. These coaches, they, they go in with a certain game plan, and they're seeing what's working, what's not working, trying to make adjustments on the fly when they come back in for halftime. You know, they're, they're talking to all the coaches that were up top um, for more than just being on the headset. So I don't think, you know, if, if Nathan Elliott comes out struggling and Syracuse is getting gashed on the ground, I don't think it would be something where Coach Nora is like, dang, now I got to throw the ball more or I got to run the ball more. Like these coaches are going to do everything it takes to win and whatever's working in the game plan and whatever Syracuse is giving them. So I think that's the biggest thing that the coaches are going to try to take as much as Syracuse gives them. All right. And then EJ, let's talk about the defense to go ahead and wrap this podcast up, man. They've been very Jekyll and Hyde so far this season. And, you know, they played really good uh, against Virginia Tech. They were solid against UCLA, but then against Miami, which you know, was a little bit unfair, the position they were in, but still. Uh, the Miami game left something to be desired, and ECU is obviously just pretty bad from start to finish. So what do you think that the Heels need to do schematically to deal with that dual threat from Syracuse? And again, same thing. Who do you think needs to be the standout player on, the, on that side of the ball if the Heels are going to pull off the upset away victory? I think for one thing they need to do is is be consistent. Be consistent in everything that they do, whether it be their stance and start, whether it be their their eyes, whether it be their technique uh, and their footwork. We just need to be consistent. Uh, and we also need to do what we did uh, Saturday and get pressure on the quarterback. I think that everything, whether it's offense or defense, it all starts up front. And if we're if we're if we're pushing the offensive line back uh, on running plays and we're getting pressure on the passing downs, then I think that, that we have a chance to be successful. Now, the Syracuse offense is pretty balanced. I mean, they're pretty successful no matter what they're doing with the ball. So I think it's going to be a, a big day for both of our interior tackles, whether it be uh, Tyler Powell, Strobridge, or Crawford coming back. We need to get. Uh, we need to be very active within the interior of this defense. I don't think anything. I think the best way to contain this quarterback is to have someone directly in his face. And on running downs when they're trying to run the ball, we need that knockback uh, on the interior line, whether it be on the guard or on the center. We just need someone to be active in there and actually make some disruptive plays. Because I think that with Malik Carney and Tamon Fox on the outside, I think that I'm, I'm pretty confident those guys. I've seen what those guys can do with their best. I've seen what they can do uh, when they're not on their best. So. If they're if they're playing uh, if they're having a good game and they're on and they're as motivated and as enthused and ready to play like they were Saturday and we get some production from the interior defensive line I think that we have a chance to slow them down and give our offense more opportunities to kind of get some of that rhythm that we haven't been seeing from them for the for the majority of the season. All right, so I mean you mentioned those those two guys there. You know, do you think anyone other than those need to have like another big game? I mean. Uh, the secondary for Carolina, they're going to be tested. They, they they did okay against Virginia Tech. Um, you know, Ross got picked on a little bit there in the second half, but overall, you know, everyone kind of kind of held their own. EJ, is there anyone maybe in the secondary that you think really needs to step up and try to do, be that be all type player for the heels against the Orange? No, I don't think that anyone needs to stretch and necessarily be their be-all. And that's what I was saying necessarily when being consistent with everything we do with our eyes and our keys. That really speaks to our secondary. Uh, and again, 
I'm a firm believer that if we're getting pressure uh, on the quarterback, I think their job is going to be a lot easier. So I think that handling everything up front is going to take care of anything in the back end as long as our playmakers make plays. Uh, and I really want to uh, see a big game from Cole Holcomb. I mean, I, I kind of I'm a I'm a fan of the guy. I, I like watching him play. I like the way he plays. So I think that if he can make some things happen on that second level for us, I think that that's going to make an easy day for our secondary. Uh, if we're put in a position where, where they know they're going to pass and if we're watching film and know what routes they're going to run, I think that the secondary is going to be fine. I don't think that we necessarily need a, a heroic or Herculean effort from anyone in particular uh, on that level. All right, good deal. Let's get some predictions from you guys, though, before we do let everyone go for this one. Uh, so, Taylor, let's get your thoughts, man. Give me a prediction and what you think the final score may be. I think Eric Dungey is just going to be too much as a, a running threat. I think Carolina struggled in the past against running quarterbacks. Uh, you saw what Willis did um, last year. It was either last year or two years ago where Daniel Jones had a pretty big game running on them. Uh, so I think just from an offensive perspective, I don't think Carolina is going to be able to keep up and match Syracuse's pace that they're kind of setting. So if I had a predicted score, I'd say I'd say 40 to 21. So kind of a, a big loss. All right, EJ, go ahead and close this out, buddy. What do you think the final score will be? I think that our uh, defense will come out playing a strong game, but I think uh, we're not going to be able to control the pace on offense like we need to. And I think those guys will eventually tire out, which is unfortunately going to lead to a blowout. So I'm going to say 42 to 9. Yeah, that seems to be a pretty common theme. It's one of those things where it's very hard to be positive right now, given what we've seen of this season so far, where you know, Carolina just seems to lose in every conceivable way. I made the joke to a coworker that you know maybe this will be the game where Carolina has the lead late, but then they kick it out of bounds and do a Hail Mary, something like that. So, yeah, it has been that type of season. But, guys, we will be here next week to keep on breaking it down and taking the listener questions. Appreciate both of you guys joining me, and we'll talk next week. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.